Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guffrey Weissman, the Editor-in-Chief of Modern Retail. And this week, I'm really excited. We have Sarah Turvo. She's the CMO at Express. And I well, I want to go into what it's like to lead marketing at such a large and, I don't know, I guess you could say ubiquitous retailer. I know that you guys have been in the process of a, a sort of brand revitalization over the last few years. You have some cool marketing tricks. And I also know that I'm pretty sure you're in charge of all e-com, if that's correct. And so I want to talk about all of that and probably some more too. But Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to speak with you today. Absolutely. So first, for those who don't know, tell, tell me, tell us about yourself. How did you end up at Express? What were you doing before? All that jazz. Oh, sure. So I've lost track of how many decades I've been doing marketing. <laughs> I think I'm closing in on 25 years. Um, um, I actually started in the public relations world um, uh, back in my early part of my career, and I became more interested in marketing and marketing strategy. So I transitioned into a marketing job for Pink back in the day when Pink, uh, Victoria's Secret Pink, was just growing, um, becoming a brand. And because I had a non-traditional marketing background, um, they thought I might be a good fit to lead marketing there because they wanted a less traditional marketing leader. Uh, so I learned a lot about my um, passions and marketing and driving connections with customers at L Brands. Um, and then I transitioned to Justice, the tween brand. And then about three years ago, I joined Express uh, as CMO and I also oversee e-commerce. So um, it's been a long specialty retail journey <laughs> to get me here today. And a lot has changed over the years. <laughs> Absolutely. It's interesting. It seems like Pink was sort of ahead of its time in trying to get someone to lead marketing with a non-traditional background. Sort of, What was your approach to that or what did they specifically want from you to do and how did that materialize? So um, at the time, Pink was just this little baby brand and they wanted to use it as an incubator, um, an opportunity to learn and connect with a younger customer. Um, and at the time we were targeting, targeting an 18-year-old, a college student. And um, the idea was how do you get people talking and buzzing about the brand in authentic sort of peer-to-peer -peer ways versus traditional direct mail, TV advertising, at the time print advertising was a big deal. And I didn't have any of those um, like old, old traditional, um, old traditional in air quotes <laughs> uh, thinking because I came from like what, do, what drives headlines, what gets people buzzing online and all of that. So um, I actually started just with uh, interesting ways to connect with college girls on college campuses. So uh, we had events on campuses. We created a campus rep program. We launched a loyalty program that no, had no structured benefits. It was all surprise and delight. And we learned our way. We, they could vote on things and win parties. And just over time, we learned and grew and matured as a marketing team and as a brand. Um, and and to your point, I think we were a little fearless because we didn't have um, any you know, history uh, and we didn't have, and we had Victoria's Secret Legacy to help drive traffic and sales in a more sophisticated sound way. And we were able to go play, experiment and, and learn and grow. And then Victoria's Secret was sort of behind, you know, because we, because the world changed and the customer demographics changed and all of that good stuff. But um, it was an interesting time to lead a growth brand. Yeah, I mean, that it seems like you're describing sort of like the things that every CMO wishes they could do mostly every day, like, you know, all the fun activations and ways of, you know, engaging community that I'm sure you love to talk about, but are for, for larger brands is less and less of your time, though maybe I'm wrong. It 
Exactly. It's hard. You know, it's hard when you're a mature brand. Yeah. Um, and you've got a lot of infrastructure and you've got, you know, sales to drive and things to comp and all of that. And we were just this little brand and we were protected by the sales of Victoria's Secret and L Brand's um, infrastructure. And we were able to just sort of play and incubate and, and experiment. And it was it was quite the gift. <laughs> so it leads perfectly to my next question, which is I wanted and I'm sure all most of our listeners know know about this, but I wanted you to just give a little bit of context about Express. And you mentioned how Pink had no um, had no history, but I feel like Express has history. You're a, a very well known brand, so sort of what what was your mandate and what was your understanding of the retailer when you joined? Yes, absolutely. So Express is a 40 year old brand, um, and we are a known brand, as you said. Um, when I joined the company, it'll be almost three years. Um, it will be three years in September, actually. So when I joined the brand, we were needing a transformation. Um, we like to talk about when you're a 40-year-old brand, you know, what happens to you when you're 40? You you know, you might start to lose your vision a little bit. You might have a little bit of a midlife crisis. You buy a Ferrari. You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, or you get stuck in your ways a little bit, right? You like your routine. Um, and what worked for us for a very, very long time, and we were a very successful brand, started to get a little bit of, little tired, a little fatigued. Um, but we had a passionate customer base, and we knew we had a lot of, lot of ingredients to work with. So we started, um, we actually, I started on the same day as a head of merchandising. And her job was to rebuild the assortment and make great product, improve the quality, improve the fashion quotient. In a fashion retail company, you have to have great product in order to drive sales and business. And that was a very, very important priority for us. Uh, we had lost our way a little bit. We had gotten a little commodity um, and lacked fashion and, and what we were known for and good at. We also got highly promotional, so we needed to pull back and drive value um, in different ways than just discounting. So she started on her journey uh, with that. Concurrently, my job was to define and articulate our brand purpose and how were we going to connect with customers in new ways, create relevant content to go with the product assortment strategy evolution. We also restructured basically our entire company and, and how we go to, go to market. So we rebuilt our process. We got a lot more collaborative and we got a lot more tuned in to the customer and what we needed to do to be relevant in a go-forward view of Express. So we worked collaboratively as a total organization and we were very excited about defining and articulating our purpose our customer reinventing how we show up, showed up, and then COVID hit. <laughs> so that was a little bit of a, of a yeah. um, we'd say, a derailer or a detour <laughs> in our journey. Um, but it actually brought us closer together and how we think about connecting with our customer through digital channels and listen and learn. And, and it gave us time to experiment um, and take risks in different ways. Um, and like we were talking earlier, taking risks is so important um, in a transformation and uh, stepping out and experimenting and letting go and and being okay with failure every now and again and, and taking the lessons and learning and, and changing and evolving as you go. So we've been on quite a journey here, but we're very excited about our progress. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's there's a lot to unpack here, but I wanted to ask how much of, of this reinvention was reinventing the wheel or recreating the the brand image and the brand purpose, or how much of it was re-articulating what was already there? Yeah, it's a great question. No, it was, um, we actually started by looking at all of the history of the brand. Um, and we thought there was a lot of really good, powerful thinking, and there was a great customer, and we had a, a place in the market. 
Um, we have a customer who loves fashion. When they put on their clothes, they feel confident. They're ambitious. Uh, they're, you know, they're like always aiming for what's next and, and growing their careers and uh, they're social. And there was a lot of great power in the brand. And so um, what our head of merchandising did was actually come back and say, what are our enduring style codes? What have we been known for? And how do we reground and edit to that? And so she actually went through the history and reinvented. And she said, we've always been a brand of the now. Let's just get our fashion right. We've always been best at black. Let's get great at how we uh, show different styles in, in, um, in black, the color black. And so uh, that was her. She was, went back to the roots and then reinvented and rebuilt um, from there, as, as did I. I would say our customer has been you know, pretty consistent. They are ambitious. They work. They love fashion. They come to us for fashion. They're confident in the clothes um, that they wear. And uh, we needed to find a way to connect and drive relevancy through that. We had um, an old way of thinking about marketing. So we would have maybe eight or nine editorial images that were very expensive to shoot. And we would launch that across all the different platforms. And as we all know, that that doesn't work anymore. No, that's that's not the strategy anymore. <laughs> no, and it was so expensive. And it wasn't, you know, people couldn't relate. They were looking at our imagery and saying, I don't relate to the brand anymore. I used to shop Express. Uh, you know, or we would highlight a great red dress that wasn't even available for sale or stuff like that. So what we really had to do was rebuild our approach to content, understand what was most relevant and connected across all the different platforms, rebuild our budgets and constantly iterate, learn and generate more content and in an effort to connect and create conversation and to create a more relevant brand. Uh, were there any channels that you sort of focused specifically on that you were like, we're going to focus more on this? Sort of, how did you think about the the overall marketing mix when you were completely changing how you were approaching it? I would say that we had a, a quite a, a a stable and strong Instagram program, and we had a a, a relatively strong influencer program. Um, what we wanted to do was uh, get in front of customers and non customers and show them um, an evolved projection. And what we thought uh, could be relevant and, you know, does, does this speak to you? Does that speak to you? And we, ga- we gained verbatims and, and insights. And, and then we started to recraft what our Instagram projection looked like, who was highlighted in our Instagram projection um, in order to evolve it and test and learn. But concurrently, we were uh, obviously leaning into Facebook, Twitter, TikTok was uh, maybe we were a little late to the party for TikTok, um, but now we're knee deep in it and have been um, gr- aggressively growing our, our presence there. YouTube, uh, we still have opportunity to get better and evolve there. But in the meantime, we're always testing, you know, uh, paid media and then optimizing for what's resonating and putting assets out there and, and optimizing across all the channels. So uh, it's it's complex. And as marketers, we all know, um, there are so many channels now and the way that paid and organic work together and the ability to test and learn and optimize inner day um, across all platforms. And so part of the, the trick is being agile and constantly curious and learning and, and uh, getting better um, and responding to what's working. Are you, what is your thoughts on paid media these days? I hear from everyone that it's more expensive and less efficient. So are you, how do you, how do you, what do you, how do you do that as, you know, a, a multi-billion dollar brand? 
Uh, so we're constantly measuring, measuring and optimizing as, as we go. And I would say that we try to keep a healthy balance of top of funnel brand building uh, investments. Uh, as we see from our brand tracker, uh, we do have uh, great awareness as a brand on the women's side. We have an opportunity to drive more awareness on the men's side. On the women's side, we have an opportunity to drive consideration because we you know, had lost our way for those couple of years. So people might know Express, but they're saying, I don't know if I, I see myself in it there anymore. I used to shop there in my 20s or whatnot. So uh, we're trying to ensure that we protect investment across awareness in men's and consideration of women's. And then in lower funnel, it's, it is. It, the cost per clicks are expensive. It's a competitive environment. So we always are testing and learning and optimizing um, literally every day. And we've learned that a lot, some of our organic content and uh, brand content, just you know, uh, aligning that with our paid content and optimizing and boosting. And, and we also have great partnerships with TikTok on the paid side and a meta on the paid side. And so we're always curious about, you know, beta partnerships and, and different ways to uh, test and try new ways to connect with customers. I want, I want to get into all of that soon, but I want to sort of back up and just talk a little about the e-com side of things. Cause I, we, you mentioned earlier, e-com's part of your remit. What is, what is the e-commerce strategy and journey been over the last, you know, three plus years and how have you been focusing on it and what have you been focusing on? I would say that for e-commerce specifically, uh, we have bold goals for that channel. We have a billion dollar goal uh, for that channel as part of our long range strategy. And when I first started here, we had a good e-commerce channel, but it was not connected as it should be to the overall brand and the merchandising strategy. So the first step was, and it was very transactional and it didn't feel very inspirational. <laughs> so we did a huge assessment on uh, customer journey, customer journey mapping, where we have opportunities to enhance the customer experience. Uh, so we, uh, top to bottom, the team has been working on not only the creative uh, projection and evolution and understanding what's driving uh, the optimal traffic and conversion, but also uh, some of the backend stuff and how do we enhance the checkout experience. We launched Bopis. Uh, we're optimizing for personalization. So um, just making the checkout process seamless and easy, uh, we know is also critical. So we've been on a journey with that too. Each quarter we're rolling out enhancements and learning and optimizing. Uh, we also uh, rebranded uh, and rebuilt our loyalty program um, it was hard to understand how you earn points, how you redeem points, uh, and it was very bank-like and transaction-like. And so we brought a lot of heart and soul and enhanced benefits to our loyalty program as well. So uh, online, you can uh, feel that the loyalty program is part of the overall brand and shopping experience. So we've done a lot of work over the last uh, few years. That's a lot. Talk about yeah. Talk a little bit more about the loyalty program, because I feel like we talk at Modern Retail with, you know, different retailers and brands all the time that are revamping it. And a lot of it is about how they think about the tiers or, you know, what the overall UX is. So what 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 was it that wasn't exactly working? Was it just the fact that it felt like a bank, as you said, or a bank app? Or and how did you how did you reimagine it so that it felt more more engaging, I guess, is the question how I would say. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it was it was a solid program for us. So I would not say that it was not successful, uh, but we wanted to continue to grow just like any publicly held company. How do you continue to get uh, better? And uh, we know loyal customers are a, a definite path um, in, in doing that. So 
We started with talking to our customers, looking at the data and understanding where we had opportunities. Uh, one area was not um, very many customers were actually earning rewards uh, because we had the thresholds quite high. Uh, so we felt that if we could make earning rewards easier and faster, we could catch them earlier and drive a longer term um, customer and more purchase frequency. So that was a big insight. So we lowered the earning thresholds to make it easier for people uh, to earn rewards. We also know, and I'm sure you've heard this in all your conversations, people love a birthday present. <laughs> and so um, we didn't celebrate birthdays um, except for uh, the upper tier of our program. So we made birthday rewards available to everybody. And then we started adding in more engagement um, with our customers so they could feel valued in ways above and beyond rewards on birthday. So we started doing uh, customer insight groups with our loyalty customers, inviting them to in-store events, uh, after hours, and they could go shopping. And, and all of those things are really, truly sweepstakes. They can go to, uh, to Hilton, um, you know, for spring break and have a great uh, shopping experience and vacation experience or things that tap into our customers' priorities. So I would say that that dimension has come through as something that our customers really, truly value and feel appreciated and feel like they've been brought more deeply into the brand. So we also just uh, as it relates to how we articulate the benefits and how we project the program. Um, like I mentioned, it was uh, looks like a bank statement and it had no energy <laughs> in it creatively. Uh, so we uh, rebranded it and we uh, made it look and feel uh, more like our brand and, and more exclusive and fun and easier to un- understand. I know that over the last few years, you've tried to focus less on promotions, like just, just to sort of differentiate from, from the old express to the new express, how, like, how do you fit that into doing a loyalty program, which I think a lot of people think of loyalty programs as more promotion or, you know, you get this insider discount. Do you think that they aren't expecting that anymore? Sort of, how do you think about that from the top, you know, from where you sit? Yes, I think, um, you know, from a overall brand perspective, uh, giving people rewards that they earn through purchasing behavior is very different than 40% off everything. It's, it, it, to me, it, it's okay if people have earned rewards, they're loyal customers, they can, um, you know, can certainly shop more frequently. And, and that creates loyalty and long-term value for our brand versus if you're walking by any store and you see 40 off everything, it, it, it automatically, I think, um, downgrades your perception of that brand, right? And you're like, oh, everything's on sale. Maybe you're excited because it's holiday or <laughs> it's a special weekend or whatever. But other times, it, if it's on too long, you start to wonder about the actual value of, of the product. Um, and so it's a balance, you know, obviously, uh, managing inventory levels and, and margins. But I, um, I would always invest in our loyal customers, um, especially as they earn rewards. Can you talk a little about, you mentioned how you, you focus a lot on influencers and you do a lot of stuff on TikTok. Just how, what, what has your overall strategy with that been? Who have you been partnering with or what are, what's the type of ideal, you know, influencer partner that you would like to work with that best reps the brand or brings in a new shopper? Absolutely. So uh, we would, um, one of the things that uh, we rallied around as a brand um, was this idea of transforming from a store in the mall because if you ask people, you know, Express, they'll say, oh, yeah, that store in the mall, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, isn't a bad thing because brick and mortar is important. Yeah, and a lot of especially D2C now. brands, exactly. A lot of D2C brands are going um, after 
uh, store and mall. Um, but that said, you, we also want to have a deeper purpose and a deeper connection. So this idea of uh, transforming from a store and a mall to a brand with a purpose, and our purpose is to create confidence and inspire self-expression through fashion um, by uh, and being powered by a styling community. So our styling community is actually our engine. And so with that, the styling community takes on many different forms, and it includes many different extensions. Uh, part of that would be what we uh, could refer to as more A-list type influencers. Uh, so we've worked with Rachel Zoe, who is a world-renowned a stylist. She is incredible. And she's also very authentically uh, connected to our, our purpose. She really also believes that fashion can create confidence, and when you put on a great outfit, you feel better about yourself and you're going to go conquer your day. And as we met with her and talked with her, she truly and authentically signed up for our purpose, which is important. We've worked with Tan France, who's amazing and also a very known stylist. I don't know if you're familiar with CJ Stroud, uh, but he's a college athlete. We signed a first NIL deal with him. He loves Express. The way we actually connected with him was he was shopping in our store saying how much he loved Express. And he's a potential Heisman candidate, and he's wearing our suits and loves the brand. Uh, so those would be like the the maybe A-list, high-reach influencer types. But we also have customers that are influencers and associates that are influencers. And you think about the foot traffic we get in malls and the interaction they have every day with our customers and the power of them to create a great experience and build confidence in our customers every day is so powerful. So we're capturing that content. And if you ever go on LinkedIn and see the stories of our associates with customers, uh, we also signed a long-term partnership with Big Brothers Big Sisters. And we've been doing uh, interview uh, suits for people that are trying, or kids that are graduating high school and college and getting out in the workforce. So we have tons of different extensions of our community and how we can leverage our styling community to authentically connect to our purpose and ultimately drive, you know, more sales and, and long brand health. So it's a, it's a complex and big yeah. uh, family <laughs> and community across all the platforms because everybody's sharing all the time. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk a little about the associate stuff? Because I'm so fascinated with that. And so how do you, how do you or like make a program that, you know, incentivizes your store associates to rep the brand on their social channels? Do you have a formal program in place or is it just informal and, and you see them on there talking about where they work? I would say we're, we're learning and growing and building that um, as we speak um, because they are such a wonderful and important part of our brand. And, and when somebody walks into our store and has a great experience, that is worth you know, it's weight in gold relative to how that customer goes and shares their experience with family and friends and across their social media, but also how our associates do. So a lot of it's happening organically um, and through how we connect and share and uh, build and rally around our purpose with that community. We also have some very exciting incentives going on uh, where uh, store associates can submit videos and uh, styling hacks and, you know, what they might, how they might wear their denim and and they're winning different incentive prizes and all of those sorts of things. And it's creating really meaningful content, um, which we will leverage in our brand campaigns. Because uh, one of the things we've learned is that the content that resonates the most is that kind of content. <laughs> and so how do you just continue to generate and leverage um, all of that? So they'll be featured in our campaigns and their insights are truly valued. 
um, as, as we build our business and, and, and build on our brand purpose. And what sort of incentives do you give them? Is it sort of like, you know, a, a little bit of a, a, a pay hike or like, how does that work? Well, so last um, quarter, we actually flew a bunch of uh, store uh, stylists to L.A. and they got to meet Rachel Zoe and uh, they got to have, they had, you know, a great L.A. experience. Uh, We also have what we call style editors who are customers that are invited to sell on our behalf uh, to their network and they get a commission. So they were also uh, flown to L.A., uh, the top performers to meet Rachel, and then they all got together. So the community building, it's associates with style editors, with Rachel Zoe, and they had the best time, and we created content out of that. So that's one example of of an incentive that we've created. Very cool. I want to ask you, because you mentioned earlier, you know, how people referred to, used to refer to it as, you know, oh, that place in the mall. And I want to ask just a bigger question about the mall. So, you know, you said, you know, DTC brands, they realize they can't only you know, they can't just be online only. They have to have stores. You're in a very good position because you have a lot of stores. But what is the role of the mall nowadays? Because I feel like it's constantly changing and there's always a new big feature story that comes out about how either malls are dead or malls are experiential places where you're going to go do this and that. So wh- how, where is it now and how how is it performing and how does that change how you, how you market the brand? Yes, I would say that uh, as it relates to the mall, um, I... I'm feeling, and I think we're all seeing a resurgence in, in excitement and the idea to connect with people and to touch and feel product. And especially coming out of the pandemic, I think people are uh, appreciating the opportunity to get out and connect and it's entertainment almost again. <laughs> uh, and so there's also the idea of speed. So with Vopus, you could browse online and then pick up in store and you can get it immediately. So there's a omni um, experience that uh, because of COVID, I think we even a lot of brands expedited curbside and QR codes and the and just the omni-channel experience and making it easier however you want to transact. Uh, so all of that is is playing a role, I think, in the evolution of them all. And I'm sure you've heard a lot of different people say that. I would say you can never replace an in-person experience. Right. So there's just absolute value in that. And so what's dying is probably bad in-store experiences or malls, not the idea of that. So the the more you can create that emotional connection, when people walk into your store, they, they feel good, they're happy, it's their happy place, it's part of their community, or they walk out feeling excited, enthusiastic. That is so important and I think will continue to, to be important. Absolutely. I want to just ask sort of about future looking, what your your overall goals for the rest of the year are, and also sort of how things have gone just in terms of, it's been a rough few months for apparel in general, you know, with, I could go on and on, but I'm sure you know. <laughs> uh, so h- how are you dealing with that given the, the, the rise and fall of the, you know, economic concerns, rising inventory? How are you thinking about all of this? I would say that we are uh, always focused here on controlling the controllables and uh, very mindful of our customer mindset and making sure that we're listening and evolving always. That said, uh, we are very uh, excited about the traction we've had with our business offering better product and more deep connections with our customers. So uh, each day we get our report card. That's the thing about especially retail. You get your sales reports every morning. And, uh, you, you know, the best thing you can do is, is collaborate, 
have a very smart, talented team that can help assess and optimize and, uh, and continue to evolve with the, uh, the environment. I, you know, it's funny, I guess a while back now it's, I don't even remember like 10, 15 years ago, it felt like you could launch something and then take a breather, <laughs> you know? And then it was like, you can't do that anymore. There's not, there is no breather. Like there is no rest for the weary. The pace is, is as fast as it's ever been. Uh, but when you're surrounded with a good team and, you know, the right uh, long-term strategy, it's about staying true to that and, and then continuing to optimize. And so what are, you mentioned earlier, the, the goal for a billion dollars in e-com sales. What are, what are the big goals for the rest of this year or early into the next year to help, to help get that? I would like with each quarter, we are adding enhancements and we are always looking to drive traffic and conversion. Uh, we also are mindful of, you know, the macro environment. And so specifically, uh, we just launched Shop My Store, which has been, um, you know, a nice addition. So people can view uh, inventory for their local store. Uh, we're getting ready to uh, enhance and streamline the checkout even more uh, than we have before. Uh, so we're just we're just always, I guess, adding and, and optimizing. And even, and like I mentioned, personalization, we have some great um, uh, tools in, in, work, in the works um, around that as well to continue to drive a better experience online. All right. I'm excited to see that. Well, Sarah, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining. I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.